Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19, we'll be looking at two verses, three verses, verses 19 through 21. And then if you would like, you can also put your finger and uh, put your finger there and also have Luke 9, chapter, chapter 9, verses 57 and on, because Jesus references this. And so I will, when I read the passage, I will read both 1 Kings and then also a few verses in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. But before you do that, before we read, I want you to imagine this. You're at home, and you get a call from an official-sounding person. And the person says, I'm the director at NASA, and uh, you know, I've been looking at your social media profile. And uh, I think you would be a quality candidate to accompany us on the mission to Mars. Now, raise of hands. Who would like to go on a mission to Mars? Anyone? Ruth? All right. We, we know who said. Why, why wouldn't you? I don't see a lot of other takers, though. I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to do that? That's, that is groundbreaking human history. I mean, your names could be in the history books. Or you could, you could go down and be famous. And, and it's really possible to do it. It would be possible for most of you, believe it or not, to become an astronaut. You could do it. Uh, it's not like a coach coming to you and saying, I want you to be on the Olympic 100-meter team next year. We'll get you up in a year. No. John Glenn went up when he was 70. It's possible. Really, it is. Right? You could do it. You'd have incredible training. You'd have incredible experiences. You'd get to be an astronaut. There's just one or two little catches, aren't there? It'll be challenging, dangerous. And, oh, yeah, you'll probably never see your family in person again. Most likely, it is a one-way trip. Your life would be full of adventure, hardships, and you will leave your life of comfort behind, and you would never be the same again. Well, there are big differences between that and our passage here, but the mission to Mars does give you a little insight into, I have to use the word, the gravity of being Jesus' disciples. The, the importance, it's drastic. And, and although being a disciple to Jesus may not look as physically demanding and changing as being an astronaut, it is even more dramatic. We'll be looking at what it means to be a disciple of Christ as we first read God's story of calling the prophet Elisha to secede Elijah. His story, too, is a little different from ours, but it's, it's a lot closer than the Mars illustration and has a lot in common. The point today is super simple, so simple that maybe even Sammy could start to get the idea. Jesus calls you to be disciples. That's what we're here today, God's word. It's, it's just to sink into our souls, to remember our identity, who we are. And as we think about this today, I want you to ask, do, do I hear his call? Is that, is that what I hear as I wake up in the morning? So let us read 1 Kings 19. Uh, the last few verses, 19 through 21, and then we will go to Luke chapter 9. So this is coming after Elijah has heard the Lord and has been comforted that he will have an assistant and someone who will carry on. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. 
And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now turning to Luke chapter 9, where in the last few verses Jesus references this directly. Chapter 9, verse 57, through the end of the chapter, here Jesus encounters those who seem to want to follow him, but they have some hesitations, some reservations. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, would we be encouraged by the greatness of your call and by knowing that you have made us part of your incredible plan, all of a sudden our lives have meaning too. We see Jesus and his wonderful demands and what that means for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, Jesus calls you to be a disciple. What is a call? Well, I'd like us to look at Elisha's call to begin with. So kids, what is it when we talk about a call? It could be like the illustration. Someone talks to you on the phone or whatever device you use today. It could be a summons. There are some times when I will call Sammy, Sammy, and he comes running. I'm coming, Daddy. But really, this kind of call, is, it, it is that, but it's more than that. It's a mission, and it's a mission that shapes who you are and gives you an identity. God is telling you to do something. We use this as kind of official language in the church. Um, pastors, deacons, officers can be called to a certain ministry. And, and we also say you, God might be calling you to do a certain thing in, in, in ministry or using your skills. Um, but then it can be used more generally of calling to be a disciple. That's what God has called you, has told you to do. He's, he's drawn you to himself. So you've, you've heard the words of Jesus and you've claimed him as Lord, then, then he's calling you to be his follower. So what does it look like? Well, let's, let's look at Elisha's story. First of all, it's surprising. Now, this is a very compact story. It's three verses. There's not a lot of detail. So we don't know, we don't even know exactly when it happened. Was it the first rains right after? Or was it long enough in Elijah's journeys that it was the second rains? Um, we don't know if Elijah knew anything about Elisha before this. Did they have contact? Was there, was there already a relationship there? Or, or did the Lord just single him out and, and he went? We don't know that. But, but there are a couple things here that, that show how surprising this is. Here's two things. Let's just introduce Elijah, Elisha. There's two things that you can know about him from this, this little paragraph. First, he seems to be a godly man. It's, it's implied um, the Lord wouldn't call Elijah if he didn't fear him. 
Um, his, his name shows that he was raised by at least godly, God-fearing Israelites. Uh, by the way, kids, do you, do you ever get mixed up with Elijah and Elisha? Uh, and I probably will in this sermon. I'm trying very, very uh, carefully not to. I don't know if this helps, but Elijah has a G and Elisha has an S in it, and J comes in before S. Don't know if that helps, but that's just how I try to kind of think of it. All right, but, but both of those names are, are godly names. Elijah means my God is the Lord. Right? El, God in generic, is Yahweh. Elisha means my God is salvation. In fact, it's very similar to Yeshua, which would mean the Lord or Yahweh is salvation, from which we get Jesus from the Greek. And, and so Elisha is, is a name of that his parents gave him, uh, seeing God and trusting that he was salvation, is their salvation, he was faithful to his covenant. He seems like he's at least a God-fearing Israelite. The second thing you see is that Elisha also is quite wealthy. We don't exactly know where his his town was um, in Shaphat, or if that was the the town, or or if it was just the sun, but where Elijah lived. But it seems like that area was quite fertile. And he was plowing the last of 12 yoke of oxen. So there's 12 pairs of oxen that are are pulling plows. That's a significant amount of livestock. Kids, do you like to see the tractors around here? Right? A yoke of oxen was like the tractor of the day. Couldn't plow as much as the tractor could today. A tractor can plow a field with planted corn. But you've got 12 tractors equivalent of that time working on his field. So he had a pretty big field, and he's also the last of the 12, which most likely means that Elijah was the super, Elisha was the supervisor. So he's coming along last. He's supervising the work. Perhaps he was the overseer or the, the oldest son acting of the foreman on the family's farm. So he's, we can, we can surmise he's a, a godly man. He's, he's a wealthy man. But here he is, Elisha, minding his own business, going about in his very pleasant, comfortable, everyday life. But along comes Elijah. As one commentator pointed out, Elisha did not wake up that morning and say, you know, today is the day that everything changes. He just went out and did his job. And then Elijah comes and places his cloak on his back and keeps on walking. So what's the significance of the cloak on the back? Another word for it is mantle. It's kind of an older word, but sometimes talk about passing the mantle. Right, there is there is a significance in that. Clothes meant identity. And as, as I was listening to Pastor Ellis' sermon this morning, once again, just like last week, there's quite a bit of overlap coming from a different point of view. I was quite grateful that the Lord had lined it up so that he was talking about being clothed in Christ. Because we're talking about clothing here. And, and it, it says something about the person, about what they're supposed to do. So if you remember you're reading through those, those long passages in the Pentateuch, it talks about the clothing of the priests. Right? During the ordination of the priest, they would be given special garments and, and headdresses, turbans, and plates, which said something about their office. It, gave them, it said that, that you are set apart for this office. And in fact, when Aaron the high priest died, do you remember what happened? They took off his clothes, his priestly garments, and they put them on his son Phineas. Right? It was passing the office of priest because the clothes set apart the identity. And there's something of that here, too. Elijah is placing on Elisha the identity 
of a prophet. Now, for the prophets, too, their clothing also symbolized something else, the possessing or the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, Gideon was not a prophet, per se. He was a judge. But, but the scriptures can talk about someone being clothed with the Spirit. When the Lord anointed Gideon and, and the Midianites are coming and, and God uses him, it says in Judges 6, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. So there, here's this idea of, of now clothes being uh, an anointing of the Spirit. In fact, turn with me, if you have your Bibles open, the wind's not too bad, to 1 Kings chapter 2. In 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, verse 12, Elijah, Elijah is about to be taken up into heaven. And verse 12, as Elisha saw it, he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And where he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before them. And so you see there, when Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak, it's symbolic of the office having passed to him. And now he receives this anointing, this power of the Spirit, which is demonstrated by parting the Jordan the way Elijah had done it coming. And so when Elijah comes and he passes and, and he puts on his cloak and just keeps on walking, he's calling him and he's also saying, symbolizing, someday you will hold my office. You will, you will take my position. So he gives this, him this new identity, the clothing. It symbolizes a new reality. It's surprising, it's a new identity, but it's also then, you see how Elisha responds, total dedication. Now you just think about this, what could Elijah offer to Elisha, a man who was very wealthy, comfortable, and seemed to have survived the drought quite well? Elijah, Elisha, come and throw in your lot with me, and here's what I can promise you, right? Uh, harsh conditions, uncertain provisions. And by the way, the most influential person in the country, Queen Jezebel, she wants my head. Want to come? That, that is the mission that Elijah offers to Elijah. And he makes his intentions very clear. He has a, a bridge-burning moment. He literally sacrifices the 12 yokes of oxen. Uh, think about it. Just think about it. Stop. That's, that is 24 bulls. That, that's a lot of livestock. But it wasn't a waste. It wasn't a pointless waste. By doing this, Elisha is accomplishing two things. First of all, he is offering a gift to God. We often think of sacrifices as a, an appreciation, a covering for sin, and, and they certainly are that. And, and some sacrifices are only that. But there are other sacrifices that are offered simply as a gift to God. Right? The, the burnt offering, the, the fellowship offering, it, it symbolizes a meal with God, a time spent with God, dedication to God. And when Elijah sacrifices using the wood from the yokes, he's being de very deliberate, not, not because there wasn't any other wood around, but because he is taking the instruments from his former way of life and saying, 
this is over. I'm using him for a celebration. I'm, I'm making a break with my past. And I'm now following in God's call for me. So, in that sense, Elijah's being decisive. This is a new tough point in my life. I am moving forward. There's no going back. Uh, second of all, it was a public celebration. Sacrifice is not just a grit your teeth thing and get through. It, it, it can be hard when God calls you to, but, but Elisha is legitimately uh, throwing a party here. And you think about 24 head of oxen. That's a, that's a big party, right? Probably all the surrounding areas. He's a wealthy man. There probably would have been uh, poor people around. They all came in, and they rejoiced with him in, in the Lord's calling. And in this dedication, Elisha counts the cost. He asks Elijah, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Let me go and say goodbye to my family. By the way, can you imagine what his parents would say when he says, uh, you know, Mom, Dad, I just, I just killed all the oxen in the field, and I'm going to follow Elijah. Right? Probably they had more. But, but still, that, that, that would take a little bit to swallow. But that's exactly what he did. Elijah's response is a bit cryptic. Uh, he says, you know, go, what have I done to you? Uh, either it means he's saying, oh, I'm not stopping you. Go ahead. That's, that's one possible meaning. Or the other one um, is go, but remember what I've done here. Don't, don't get stuck there. Say goodbye, but, but come back. Well, it's implied that Elijah talks with them, when, and, and probably they celebrate in the slaughtering of the ox, the eating of it. And then he, he leaves his wealth, he leaves his family, he leaves the comfort of his home to follow Elijah as he carries out the work of the Lord. So what does this tell you about you and your call to be Jesus' disciple? Well, as always in the Old Testament and New Testament with specific instances, there are differences, right? Elisha as a prophet, he has signs to show God's authority and, and his revelation. Um, Jesus calls not one prophet, but, but every Christian to discipleship. So there are some differences. There's a lot of the same, though. There, we are serving the same God. You are filled with the same spirit, even if the spirit is working differently. You are part of the church, which is a witness to God's kingdom, which is what Elisha was doing there. So I want you to so let's examine this a little bit from our point now and see what can we learn about this call. Well, we said it's, it was uh, surprising, and it was, an, it was a new identity with the clothing. It's, it's surprising that we get to put on something new. We talked about, Pastor Dick talked about putting on Christ today. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Literally have been clothed with Christ. So Paul is talking about baptism, which is the ritual of, uh, it's the sacrament of Christian initiation. He says, when you're, when you're baptized, that sacrament is symbolized that you are now clothed, you are now connected to Christ in, in an intimate way. The, uh, the idea of clothing or being clothed with a person, it, it seems odd to us today, but it's a very personal and also official way of associating with Jesus. We're spiritually joined to him. And he talks about, Paul talks about us being clothed with Christ or putting on Christ. He's talking about the reality of our new identity and our discipleship. Think about what this means. If you put on a garment and it's special, you associate with someone or something. So I don't know if any of you were, ladies were Girl Scouts growing up, right? Or something, or Pioneer Girls. You put on your shirt, 
and all of a sudden you have a connection to others in a club. If someone is a police officer and you put your uniform on, all of a sudden you're not changing to your work clothes, but you now have a certain level of authority that you represent. So that's an association with a group where it could be, could be something personal. Like I mentioned a while back where Elizabeth may wear, making the vest that I wore on the wedding day. When I wear that, it's, it's a connection to her. And in fact, early Christians, when they baptized Catholics, they would give them on a white robe, symbolizing, trying to symbolize this idea of being clothed with Christ. This, this new. So being clothed means you associate with something. It also mean, it means a new way of life. If you enlist in the military, I can tell from a personal experience, at least if you're a guy, they shave your head, they give you new clothes, and all of a sudden you, you're taught to walk and move in different ways. Right? You, you are now, you now have a new way of life. You, you have a new set of allegiances, a new set of responsibilities. That's what Pastor Dick was talking about this morning. I, I had down the verse that he preached on, Romans 13, 14, but put on, but put on, be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. When you think about what it puts you, if you think about the, the astronauts that just went up on the SpaceX rocket, they had those nifty kind of sleeker uh, spacesuits that they, with the little helmets that they wore inside, right? Or getting more towards the armor of God, football gear that protects you as you're on the field. Paul says, we have in Jesus the whole armor of God, we are to put it on. Righteousness is Jesus' power that he gives us a self each day that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. What you have then, when as a disciple of Christ, you, you get to put on Christ, you get to be clothed with Christ. It's, it's a completely new identity. Now, how is it surprising? Maybe not out of the blue like it was for Elisha just minding his business. For some people, it is. When Christ calls you, it's completely surprising. Maybe, maybe you've grown up as a covenant child. But there is a factor that is surprising regardless for everyone. As Pastor Dick said, we're all wearing dirty clothes. We were all clothed in mortal bodies, wearing out, needing redemption, and we get these wonderful righteous robes for a new creation. We pass from death into life. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, one day we will, this, this perishable will, will be clothed with the imperishable. And our, our weak wearing mortal bodies will become eternal. So I want to ask you you see, this, this just gives you as a disciple life in Christ as, as a new identity. I, the, the simple but beautiful, incredible effect of your call. He just called you and he responded and he gives you this new set of health with all of his benefits. It's, it's a new identity representing who you are. You're already addressed in them. You're, you're intimately connected to in your new way of life, your new power. The person it's been a moderately challenging week, nothing extreme, just just more tasks than life. You've probably been there once or twice, right? And 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 you you feel like you've kind of come to the end of your normal self and you might get some tunnel vision and you're really just trying to survive. That's where you are, right? You can get worn down and discouraged. 
That is a place for rest. I personally look forward to that tomorrow. But, but how do you push on and keep going, continue in the meantime? Look to the reality that I am a disciple of Christ. I've already been clothed with him. He, he gives me the call to follow him in everything that I need. Think about that new identity of your cause. You slog through life when you hit that snag. When Jesus calls you, he gives you this new identity, and from that, then, he asks for complete dedication. Now, Elijah's dedication, it was pretty extreme, right? He basically uh, you know, sold the farm, more or less, at least his part of it. And you would think Elisha is a, it's a special case, right? I mean, after all, he's going to be God's prophet of Israel. There's, it's, it's a clear break with his past. It isn't something that we should all do. Well, yes, but, but not, not quite. If you, if you go and, and look again what Jesus says in Luke, he actually brings this up when there is someone who hesitates I'm talking or following him. Jesus says in Luke 9, he puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. Now there are some who kind of read Jesus um, as looking back and critiquing Elisha for not being um, enough. See, you know, Elisha, you're being just like Elisha. You want to go back and you want to talk to your family. That's your problem. I think that's a mistake. I think if you look at First Kings, it presents pretty, an overall positive picture of Elisha and his calling. The fact that he did sacrifice and he did leave all. I think it would be pretty. I think it would be a mistake to look back and say Jesus was critiquing him. Uh, most likely, Jesus is sensing in the follower the same as the, the first two would be followers a lack of commitment, and so he references Elisha. And he says, you remember Elisha and, and how committed he was? Remember how, how he, he sacrificed all and he left all? And he, well, if you're going to follow me, you actually need, need to be more committed than that. You need to be more dedicated than that. I, I think he's using a bit of hyperbole there. It's a vivid, larger-than-wise way of saying, if you are going to follow me, then, then you need to commit everything as my disciple. Now, I, I think in our contemporary church culture, we probably have two errors. You can fall off the horse on two sides here. Um, the one is that, well, there's really, the way that you talk about total commitment really just means full-time Christian ministry, and you should all be pastors, missionaries, or sometimes full-time Christian workers, and if not, you know, you're, you're just not very holy and second-class citizens. That, And then there would be another one that says, honestly, all you really need to do is show up once a Sunday. Oh, please give. Make sure that you give. But, you know, and and We'll take care of it. Of course, both of those have a, a couple errors. One is too highly elevating some of the, the pastors and full-time workers. And also there's a, a problem of a very superficial posture, right? As long as you're in something official, it's fine. Or as long as you pay your little dues, it, it's fine. And neither gets to the heart effort where Jesus isn't satisfied with either of those. He wants, he wants to get down to the, the core of our desires. He wants every part of our lives to be focused on him. So you think about, you know, we, two areas of our lives. You think about our, our hobbies and, and what we do. These can be great blessings from Christ. In fact, I love, uh, he's not here, but I can, I can dime him out because he's, he's going to be preaching here soon, Tom Church, when um, I was 
being interned under him, he said, I have multiple hobbies. And he says, and I'm not ashamed of them. He says, in fact, I pursue them with relish. I need them or I'll fall apart. Because he was a very busy man. It was his way of recreating, resting. And so there are ways that we can, we can enjoy God's world. We can use them to rest. We, could, we can pursue them not just for their own goods, but because perhaps they bring us into other opportunities of community to bless other people, share the gospel with them. But we do need to say, Lord, are, are, these, are these really what you want right now? Is it, am, I, am I able to pursue this with zeal? One thing that I've always wanted to do even before I had kids is I wanted to train in a martial art with my, my kids when the Lord gave them to me. And um, I dabbled in it a long time ago, just enough to be dangerous to myself. Um, and I thought it would just be, it would be a fun thing to do. And I, I still hope that I can do that when, when Sam is old enough. But as I've, as I've seen my sister training and I look and I realize I need to count the cost. It, it is a significant time amount. Can, can I do it in a way that says, okay, yes, I've grown in the world since all the time with my family. I can, I can feel like, yes, I can pursue this in honor of the Lord. And then I can you know, pray about it and follow wholeheartedly, yes or no. What about also, you can think of our vocations. Jesus may call you to completely renounce your job. Uh, there was a, a guy, I think he was from Harvest USA, which deals with uh, sexual addictions and overcoming uh, those types of sins and um, being sexually pure before the Lord. And he talked about how when I came to know the Lord, I was running a chain of adult jobs in Texas, back when that used to be for the digital age. Well, clearly, he said, that had to change. That could not go on. Or he could, the Lord could just call you to redouble your efforts in your job because he is your Lord. Where you want to bring him honor by your hard, honest work. Where you serve others by producing or serving in some function or way. As you ask the Lord to, to make you someone who impacts your workspace for his glory. You can earn a living so that you can care for yourself and be generous to others. In all these ways, Jesus demands your total commitment. And so, Pastor Dick really already, he, he asked already the first question. I'm not going to spend much time on it. Am, am I a disciple? Have I, he said, have I been clothed in Christ? Have, have I committed myself to him? It's a question we all have to ask. But I'm not going to uh, repeat that one. But second, I, I encourage you, if you follow Christ, to look back in the past and stop and think, what has the Lord asked me to give up? Where have I stop and kind of have an Abraham or Jacob moment when you look back in your life? Where have I responded in faith? And how has that been a blessing to me? Just think about sometimes by looking in the past and you see where something was a legitimate sacrifice, like Elisha offering your oxen. And going a different path. And the Lord blessing that. can give you encouragement for today. You know, I know for me, I did growing up, I wanted to be an engineer. And uh, this is not the model for everyone, to make it clear. But the Lord did change my direction. And, and he, he directed me to full-time ministry. And, and I will be honest, especially in the beginning, there were multiple times where I kind of mourned the loss of not being an engineer. 
It's less and less as the time goes on. But there is still that pang of option closed. What if? Because I enjoy those types of things. And, and yet, and I see how the Lord brought, brought us here, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I can see his blessing coming out on that for, for us. And so stop and say, where, where has the Lord blessed me as I have given up? And then you can ask in the present areas, are there areas of concern that I have not given to Jesus? Maybe they're wholehearted, oh, maybe a, a, a wholesale bastion in your life, or maybe just little islands that pop up from time to time. But are there areas, there are oxen that I need to sacrifice to the Lord so I can serve him as he wishes? Well, Christians, you will never get a call from NASA don't think you have to worry about going on a mission to Mars. But you did receive a call from Jesus. And you are his disciple. He asks everything from you. But he's made you part of his kingdom. And, and the reality of your new identity is far greater than anything like the mission to Mars, as cool as that would be, can, can ever hold a candle to him. And so this week, as you follow him, take up your cross joyfully and answer the call to follow him. Please pray with me. Lord, you confirm in our hearts a desire and a joy at being your disciples. Would you help us to simply love the basics of surrendering to you, being faithful where you have put us? Father, would you, in, in that simple way, work in us beyond what we could imagine this week? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.